1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: I'm not going to lie, I've wanted to do this episode for many years and I finally got around to it. We've got a couple of things in common, us people. One of them, you're breathing. The other one, you're probably wearing clothes. Now, the question is, for the clothes that you're wearing, are you willing to put attention to your clothes? I mean, a lot of us are willing to put attention to what we invest in. A lot of us are willing to put attention to our diet, our budget, our lifestyle, everything else. And if you're anything like me, you know that you get results when you put your attention to something. So, when it comes to your clothing, are you putting attention to that? Do you care about the downstream consequences of when you're purchasing clothes? This episode is a real eye opener. And what if I asked you, I want you to pay a little bit more for clothes to make sure that people aren't being taken advantage of? And it's not all the time we have to pay for clothes. Sometimes we have to pay more for quality. Sometimes with our investing, we have to pay more if we want an ethical ETF, if we want some extra screening done. The purpose of this episode is to really make you think about what you're wearing, how conscious you are with your clothing, and if you need to make any changes going forward to your wardrobe, maybe you need to not shop for six months and maximize what you've already got. Maybe you need to go, hey, I'm just going to buy secondhand quality, or I'm going to look at all the brands that I use and look at the Baptist World Aid Ethical Fashion Report to see how my brand stacks up. Now, today I'm talking with Sarah Knopp from Baptist World Aid about this year's Ethical Fashion Guide, the changes that have been made since last year, all the details. We'll talk about brands. We'll have a bit of fun as well, but I really want to draw attention to this issue that we all face in our everyday life. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you find it useful, please send it to a friend. Please send it to a family member. Let's get the word out there about the Baptist World Aid Ethical Fashion Guide. And if you really believe in this organization and what they're doing in this space, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can financially contribute to Baptist World Aid. All right, let's get into it. Sarah, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, Glenn, how are you doing?
2: I'm so good. Now, let's just get right into it. Who are you and what does Baptist World Aid do?
0: Great question to start with. So I work for Baptist World Aid Australia, which is a Christian aid and development organisation that partners with like-minded agencies overseas to empower communities as they emerge from poverty. So at the heart of what we do is really empowering people to challenge injustices that they face, things like access to basic human needs, like clean water and safe housing, um, but also access to rights um, like gender equality. So we're really helping them to build resilience in the face of um, increasing challenges that they might face, particularly with changing climates and the growing emergencies that we're seeing across the globe. So I work in advocacy for Baptist World Aid and I advocate for social and environmental justice for the people who make our clothes. Um, but also for the communities around um, those producing factories and and farms um, who are really adversely affected by production in the fashion industry and the environmental harm that it causes. Um, So we do that through extensive research um, that we've conducted every year since 2013 um, into the supply chains of large fashion companies resulting in an ethical fashion report um, and guide which has just been released for 2022. So I'm deeply passionate about the work that we do. Um, I actually used to we used to work for some of these retailers as a buyer and I'm really passionate about seeing change in the industry. So, it's um, a pleasure to be working on this project.
2: So, the report, like it has been going since 2013. Is there any more background? Like how did it come about and like what was the actual purpose for it?
0: Yeah. So, the aim of our research and report is to really just work towards a global fashion industry that enables the workers, um, of which there are conservatively estimated about 60 million currently who participate in the fashion industry to um, really have dignity and um, be respected for the work that they do so that they can contribute to um, breaking the cycle of poverty and really having flourishing communities um, through their contributions and through their work. So um, we really want to see that shift in the global fashion industry um, as well as the environmental degradation that the industry is currently causing. So As I said, we we assess these companies um, using a survey. This year we've assessed 120 different companies and we really look at different elements of their supply chain through things like worker exploitation. So that might be excessive overtime or... um, unpaid wages. We look at things like modern slavery. Uh, So there's a lot of forced labor in the fashion industry, um, but also the environment. So what what are their agricultural practices like? Because we know that a lot of agriculture really strips the planet of its natural resources. So we look at all sorts of things uh, throughout the supply chain and and analyze those through a survey of 46 questions um, that gives companies a score out of 100.
2: Yeah. So you mentioned 120 companies. There's been some big changes this year. Last year, it was like 60 companies, wasn't it?
0: No. So, we've um, we've gone from 93, I think, to 100 and 120 right. companies this year. But the additional companies that we've added have meant that we have a brand list of almost 600 brands this year. So, it's a really extensive increase in the number of companies um, that have been included and the number of brands that have been included in this year's research, making it our Biggest research piece to date. Um, And within that list of 120 companies, um, we really focus on those global and Australian fashioning companies that have an annual revenue of $50 million Australian and over. Um, And we do that because those really big companies, they stand to directly and indirectly employ the most workers in the industry. They produce the largest volumes of clothing and footwear and they can have the largest impact on the environment, but they also stand to make the biggest difference if they do improve their business policies and practices. So that's why we focus on those big companies.
2: So the report this year, like I I looked at last year's report and, you know, it's just some of the brands that I personally use. Um, so Country Road, they got an A last year. Bonds got an A, Nudie Jeans got an A. I was a bit devastated. Industry got a D. (laughs) But this year, uh, am I correct in saying that it is a number score out of a hundred, not an ABCD rating?
0: Yeah, that's right. So we've made some changes to our scoring system this year. Um, so with that in mind, you know, the the report continues to be founded on the same robust research methodology that we've been using um, and refined a bit over the last nine years, um, but we've we've decided to publish company scores out of 100 yeah. this year. So um, what that means is that where historically we had an A to F grading system that you've mentioned and that ranked companies um, based on this, their performance this year, we've decided to be more transparent with the scoring so that companies and individuals alike can have a look at the score and really understand how the company is performing um, but also where the gaps are. So we've dug into six spotlight issues this year that we think will be really relevant for companies and shoppers to understand where the industry really needs to put its focus um, and where we would really like to see um, shoppers become aware of the gaps in the fashion industry and we're really hoping that by dialing up that transparency this year shoppers will not just look at the the grade or the score but they'll actually take it into consideration when their shopping and they will also um, use our brand finder tool on our website to speak out to brands. We have an email tool that you can use to talk to companies about what you'd like to see them do, where you want to see them improve, where you've noticed that they've made progress. So mm. we think it's going to be a really helpful tool um, for people to use this year with that scoring new scoring system in place.
2: Yeah, so I guess the one, two, three, four, five pillars are policies and governance, tracing and risk supplier relationships and human rights monitoring, worker empowerment and environmental sustainability. Um, what's can we go into maybe like you know policies and governance you know I think most people would know that you know corporate governance is like the structure of the company and you know how tightly it's run but the tracing and risk, what's that look at?
0: Yeah, so they're the they're the five categories that our survey's broken into. And that's really how we how we try to cover the full supply chain um, in our research. But you know, when I talk about spotlight issues, we're going even deeper than that. We're pulling out six of the the questions or a couple of questions together um, that are really key issues that n- we really need to move the needle on in order to see a more ethical and sustainable industry. So so this year the things that we've we've pulled out for companies and individuals to really get a deeper understanding on are when it comes to tracing and risk, we're looking at tracing beyond the final stage of the supply chain. So the final stage of the supply chain is those garment workers who are who are sewing um, and producing the end product. Um, but when you look beyond that, you've got fabric mills and you've got farms where the cotton's grown. Um, and that's where we are still seeing a significant gap in companies' tracing. Um, So we know that 41% know where their inputs come from or or have a project to actively trace it. And 52% of companies either know where their raw materials come from or are working to actively trace it. So about half still aren't. So that's where we really need to bring those workers and their working conditions into the light. And that just can't happen if companies aren't tracing them and don't know where it's coming from. So that's the tracing and risk, um, I guess, category in our survey. But but tracing beyond final stage is what we're really wanting companies to to focus on moving forward.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating because I guess that's probably like in recent weeks, Apple, uh, it's become apparent that Apple have uh, known for some time that some of their contracting companies down the line, uh, there have been child labour used and they didn't move fast because it would have affected their bottom line effectively. Uh, So, this stuff's just really important. And I know this year, I don't know if it was last year um, because, you know, we all just look at the brands that we like to use. Like I'm, I'm seeing Big W on there. I'm seeing like Kmart. Is that just the Big W Clothing, or is it if I buy a new kettle from Big W?
0: It's it's the clothing supply chain. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's the clothing supply chain. So this year we have added a focus on footwear. So a lot of the new companies that have increased our list this year are footwear companies, Mm. um, and that's really highlighted um, that there are similar issues happening in footwear, but a whole unique set happening in the footwear industry as well. So lots of things to dig into now that we're including footwear with a greater presence in our survey. Um, And I would say. Also, just back to your point on on Apple and and having child labour in their supply chain. I don't think there's really any large company that could say beyond a reasonable doubt that they have no issues, no labour exploitation in their supply chain. Mm. So what we really want to do is bring those issues out into the light because if a company says they don't have it or they can't find it, then they're probably just not looking hard enough. And we as the general public should be asking these, this question to companies, have you found cases? Are you looking for these cases? Because we can't address these issues and we can't remediate them if we keep them hidden. So we want yeah. to really bring these workers out into the light and, and give them a chance at having justice and and, and dignity in the work that they do.
2: So we will talk about some you know some good brands and brands that have moved in the last 12 months. but you know and we'll put a link in the show notes because the report's now live as at uh, this episode going up. We'll put a link in the show notes to the report and all that details. But is it fair to say um, so I'm looking this year Nudie Jeans Co, It got a 57 out of 100 final score. You know, last year's metric was an A. Are we saying there's no real correlation? We've actually changed the weighting and the actual measurement system because 57, I wouldn't call an A, quote unquote. Um, So are we saying just disregard last year's data? If you thought, oh, I use this brand and they're a, a C, but. I'm looking here and it's, you know, this year it's 80 or something like that. Are we saying this is now a new standard of measurement from Baptist World Aid Ethical Fashion Report?
0: So in the past, what we've focused on is a ranking, so a comparative ranking. So we've looked at how companies included in our survey – Uh, perform relative to their peers. So relative to the other companies that we've included in our survey, we didn't want to do do away with that this year. So we do still have a ranking system where we've included companies from top 20% through to the bottom 20%. And we've used a color code. So that's still a quick reference for people who still want to be able to just compare companies to their peers. Um, So that's what the A to F grading system did. But this year, we're adding the score as well. So you can see not only how they perform compared to other like Companies uh, or similar companies, but you can also see what that gives them compared to what our benchmarks benchmark is out of a hundred. So we're giving you two mm. pieces of information that you can use to help inform yourself this year.
2: Yeah, cool. Let's talk about some good changes between last year and this year. Do you want to? I've, I've got the list up. Do you want to maybe talk about some of them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So. I guess the thing that I'd start off by saying is that um, you know, with 120 companies, there's just huge diversity in the mix. And so, within the top performing companies and the bottom performing companies, there's a really diverse mix of companies—some Aussie, some global, um, some you know who do basics, some do sportswear—and um, there's no kind of hard and fast rules as to who's who's in the top and who's in the bottom. So it's it is really worth digging into the data to find the brands that you're interested in knowing more about. Um, overall. It's it's probably fair to say it's disappointing to most people to hear that the average score um, that companies got this year is 29 out of 100. Mm. Um, but what it is worth saying is that if you if you look at the companies who have been with us for consecutive years, their average score actually went up. So it went from 32 to 34. So we are seeing improvement in the industry, um, which is a really positive message. The thing is, we just want to see a lot more companies getting on board and doing more to lift their score. So um, as you've pointed out, we have had some really positive um, changes in scores year on year. So when we look at the likes of Forever New and um, RM Williams, their score increased by over 20 uh, year on year. Nobody Denim and Rip Curl increased by uh, just over 13. Um, Kmart and Target, you know, really well-known family brands for most of your listeners went up by close to ten, and this does doesn't say that their year-on-year progress is great. What this says is that they've been working at this for a long time, and they've invested in certain areas of their business to really see that significant um, improvement in their score across the board. You know, we see the companies that have improved their score. Um, are sort of characterised by, as I said before, that that digging into tracing and really trying to get further into their supply chain, um, but also we're seeing them take some tangible steps to start paying a living wage. Mm. Um, and that's something that's really important to this research. It's, it's the payment of living wage that makes people able to break the cycle of poverty, that a living wage is often higher than a minimum wage in the countries where fashion is produced, um, but it's really essential for people to be able to just afford the basics like food. Um, safe shelter, clean access to clean water, um, but also have some resilience, some financial resilience around a lot of the the climate and global emergencies that we're seeing. And so, you know, a lot of those companies who are the top performers or who have had an increase in their score year on year are focusing on on, on gains in those areas.
2: Mm. I'll, I'll read some stats here from the report, and there's the first one I'll read is company sustainable fibre use. I thought this is, on balance, a good thing. I, I don't know if I'm reading it wrong. Uh, only 17.5% used no sustainable fibres. 67.5% used... To, I can't speak. Shouldn't be a podcaster when you can't talk. Used to sustainable fibres in less than half their products. Uh, and I guess this is maybe the sad part of this thing. Uh, only 14.9% used s- sustainable fibres in more than half of their products. Uh, I guess, yeah, it, it's good that only 17 is in the no sustainable. Yeah. But over half, that's not amazing either, is it?
0: Yeah, so... Uh- as you said, it is really positive that companies are starting to use more sustainable fibres. So sustainable fibres include things like uh, organic cotton, uh, recycled polyester. So it's really exciting to see more companies start to use those fibres. As you said, the majority are starting to use them, but that the fact that 50% or around more than half um, use 25% or less actually. So they might just be token ranges. So we sometimes see companies promoting a sustainable range or um, an eco-friendly range. So it can just be a very small percentage of their range, or it might just be one or two components. So that's quite common in footwear that just one component they've been able to innovate and come up with a more sustainable option. So um, whilst we're seeing people. or companies start to explore that, we really want to see those percentages of use increase um, so that we can really see more sustainable fibres being used that are better for the planet. I would also say with that, you know, not all sustainable fibres are made equally. So whilst recycled polyester is great because it keeps polyester in use longer and stops it from going to landfill, um, if you are purchasing something that's made from recycled polyester, one thing that's important to note, if you if you're passionate about the environment and we all should be at this point, um, it, you need to be really careful about how you're washing synthetics and how you're caring for them because the microplastics that are being leached into the ocean is significant. So you can do things like buy a guppy bag um, and wash your synthetic um, products, so things like your activewear, in a guppy bag, so that those microplastics don't get Um, washed back into the ocean.
2: Mm, Yeah. It's microplastics. Hate them. Am I right? (laughs) Um, 41.7% know or are actively tracing inputs. 52.2% know or are actively tracing raw materials. And this is kind of shocking that it's actually so low. And I kind of recently had a bit of a, an experience with some of this tracing stuff, I guess, and maybe around the human trafficking thing. Uh, we recently did our live national tour in Australia, and I, ING Bank Australia, they were one of our sponsors. And to get paid by them and to be um, cleared and to be onboarded into their system, we had to complete a modern slavery survey. Uh, which is really cool that, you know, they won't engage with me if I said, oh, I use podcast editors, you know, in Bangladesh and I've got this good editor. He's eight years old and he's really cheap. Like, it's just really good that they did have that level of checking downstream with their contractors.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, the the companies that we survey, um, for the most part, uh, need to complete a a modern slavery statement for the Australian government. Mm. Um, And it's really great to see companies starting to think about tracing and identifying risks in their supply chain Um, but what we really want to see is that due diligence. We really want to see companies who don't just you know fill out the document as an exercise but then really take on board learnings that they've come up with, start to mitigate some of those risks that they see and try to increase the um, percentage of their supply chain that Mm. they can trace because we cannot possibly address and remediate these labour exploitation issues if we're not actually bringing them out into the light and finding them.
2: Speaking of the remediation, only 23.3% actually have a process for remediating forced and child labour at a final stage.
0: Yes. And it gets even worse when you go deeper into the supply chain beyond the final stage. So, um, this means that Uh, companies have been able to provide us with um, a process and that often comes with partnering with um, civil society organisations that understand the local context and the culture. Um, So yes, less than 25% are able to provide that process. So when they do find cases of child or forced labour in their supply chain, they have a process that they're going to use to make sure that that child is put back in school, that that family is still able to support their basic needs. Um, you know, all those sorts of things that, that bring justice and equity to that situation after what would have been a horrible and traumatic situation for those workers. Um, yeah, we really, we really are encouraging, that's one of our six spotlight issues this year. And we're really encouraging companies Mm -hmm. to, to work on that.
2: The final kind of big thing that I thought's actually shocking, um, if I'm being honest, companies that pay a living wage that you talked about previously in final stage facilities. So, you know, 90%, am I reading this, 90% do not pay an actual living wage in the final stage facilities?
0: Yeah. So, look, Glenn, it's probably fashion's worst kept secret that fashion workers are grossly underpaid. So, in our survey... 10% of companies could evidence that workers in their final stage factories, and that's not necessarily all of them. It's just some of their final stage factories were receiving a living wage. Mm.
2: Um,
0: And that's, as I said, just the the basic standard that a worker needs in a standard work week without working excessive overtime um, that they need to just meet their basic needs to be able to pay for the things that we often take for granted here in Australia. Um, And, you know, We're all experiencing the pressure at the moment with the rising cost of living here in Australia. Mm. Um, But it really brings it into perspective when you know that, that workers overseas who are making our clothes cannot afford clean water food, um, to send their kids to school, um, you know, just those those basic things that they need to, to have dignity and these people are working long hours, often excessive overtime, six days a week, 12 hours a day. Um, you know, this in this year's report we've shared and in our guide actually we've shared the stories of a couple of um, garment workers that we absolutely have the privilege in our work of being able to, you know, hear and collect their stories and, and then be able to share them and you know, these women are often starting work, um, you know, as children. So Layla, who's in our guide this year, started work at the age of 14. Um, You know, they work excessive hours, as I've shared, and they often experience um, abuse and intimidation in their work. Um, The with COVID, you know, worker numbers were reduced, but production levels went up and they have to meet new standards of production and work harder and work faster. And yet their wages have not increased. Um, mm-hmm. they, they still cannot afford the basics in life. And, and these are the people that we're really trying to um, help individuals, help shoppers to think about when they're making purchasing decisions. These are, real people making our clothes um, who who cannot afford the basics in life as a result of that work. And we really need to think about that when we're making our shopping purchases. We really need to be asking companies who made my clothes and under what conditions were they working when they made them. And, you know, we're starting to see more companies focus on the garment workers, Um, but there's certainly um, devastating cases of, you know, in China, uh, minority groups of people being forced to work in the cotton fields um you know it's est- a recent report estimated that 570,000 oiga people in china were in forced labor in the fashion industry and and we really need to um not get complacent about this stuff we need to really continue to push companies to to do more in this space and also to challenge ourselves on our shopping habits and our shopping choices when we're when we're needing to update our wardrobes
2: gosh this is, yeah, it's kind of depressing when you think about it. I don't know how you people live in this world, but I guess someone's got to do the hard work. Like, I just want to be like, fix it. And I think the whole thing is like, you know, the whole final stage facility, companies are probably like, yeah, we're, we're really good. We've got this good final stage facility. That's cute. But if you're getting your little zippers from down the road and kids are making them for nothing, like- and you still aren't even paying final stage facility wages that are you know living like it's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, and I think honestly that is the main message from our from our report this year is you know, we, we really want to dial up the transparency on what's happening in the fashion industry because while we can acknowledge the progress that's happened over the last 10 years, the scores this year, that average score of 29 out of 100 shows that we really have a long way to go. And so this really is a call for fashion companies to escalate the pace of change um, because there's just so much work to do for people and the planet when it comes to the fashion industry.
2: Well, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back. I'll press reset. I'll get a little bit more
1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: Okay, so if we step back, we know there's a lot of work to be done, but it's so good that, you know, Baptist World Aid are actually putting the torch on this stuff and putting some consolidated research that's transparent, right? If someone looks at this report, okay, here's Nike. Nike received 50 out of 100. I'm looking at this report here, uh, the dark blue or the blue that Nike is, yep. blue equals gooder than orange.
0: Top 20%. Orange. Yep. yep. Blue is the top 20% performing companies in our research.
2: Yep. And it's not a, like you're looking at the report, like it's to get the top 20%, over 50 isn't a high bar. Is it? That's right. Like,
0: There's still a lot of work to be done. Yep, absolutely.
2: So I'm happy to still shop at Nudie Jeans. They got 57. I should try Patagonia. They got 68. Are they the leading one? Oh, no, uh, 86. Who's 86? Um, 86
0: is Mighty Good Basics. They're an Australian-based- They, do, they based don't
2: do bras, do they, or anything? Like they're that? an
0: Australian-based company that do basics, a lot of things like undies. Oh, um, and they do they do are, guy stuff? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Like, check it you out. should check them out.
2: I will. Um, well, it's good that it's just not chick stuff. Sorry, I'm just indulging myself and then we'll we'll move on. Where's Bonds? B-b-b-b-b-b- Bonds, they're not on the list.
0: Uh, Haynes Brands.
2: Oh, Haynes. Oh. Yeah. Uh, see, that's why you need to be in the know. Haynes Brands, 58. That's good. That's good. I'll keep using Bonds. What are you seeing, you know, as a whole... From what I'm hearing, in layman's terms, not your words, my words, the fashion industry sucks, but it's getting better. And there are standout brands. You don't have to comment on that. but Okay. <laughs> and no, I don't want you to. Um, but, like, if I'm a consumer and I just go Westfield, click and collect, add to cart, like, I could be so far removed, right, from this. Yeah,
0: absolutely. H-
2: how do we... I guess part of, you know, the answer is listening to this podcast and talking about it. Yep. But like, what would you say to people that are so far removed to people who might be literally working for a wage that's under a living wage relative to where they live so you can wear your nice pair of jeans or your quote unquote nice top?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we conducted some research in 2021 um, with MacRindle um, just into Australian consumption um, and how ethical are Aussies, you know. Um, And we found that three out of four Australians believe that ethical fashion is important and 87% want to change their consumption habits. But what we also know is that we're not doing it in practice. So we buy an average of almost 15 kilos of clothing per year We pay an average of $6.50 per piece that we're buying, and about 260,000 tonnes of clothing reaches landfill each year. So I think the question we've got to ask ourselves is if we know we want to do this and we want to change our shopping habits, why aren't we seeing it in practice? What needs to change? And for most people, it's about being informed. It's about getting the information that they need to make that shift. So we really hope that in releasing this report and also in having a brand finder on our website that you can use to easily look through um, all the different brands, as I said, up to 600 that we have researched this year, you can start that journey if you haven't already. It's a really great place to start. And in addition to those resources, we have other articles on our website that will really help you out. So things like what to do if a brand you want to buy from isn't included in our research. How can you do that research yourself? Um, but also when you've finished with something, um, you can't you can no longer wear it, what's a suitable way to dispose of it? Because yes, we need companies to be accountable and, and most people would agree that, that it really starts with companies that need to become more ethical. But we have a huge role to play as global citizens um, in, in this um, global fashion industry. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, how you dispose of those things at the end of their life is also really important for the environment because we can't just keep throwing all these things into landfill you know at 2 at 260,000 um, tons. It's about 10 kilos of per person per year. That's outrageous. So we mm. really need to do better as, as global citizens. We need to think about what does good citizen, citizenship look like? And that, that includes being good stewards of our money and, and where we choose to put it when we're making um, purchasing decisions. But it's also about what we do with our clothes. So it's how am I taking care of those items of clothing? Can I repair it? Can I repurpose it? And then can I recycle it? Um, mm. So that I'm being a really good global citizen um, with, with the fashion that I have purchased.
2: Like how good are nudie jeans if they ever like tear or they'll repair them at no cost in store?
0: Yeah, we really, um, we've really started to look into that sort of stuff, not just started, but we have been looking into that stuff in our survey. So in the environmental sustainability section of our survey, we look at things like um, is there a repair or a take-back scheme that the company has available so that so that you can keep those items in circulation for longer. And that's, mm. part of, that's an important part of circularity in, in the fashion industry is that ability to keep that item yeah. in cycle for longer.
2: How, like, how does Sarah from Melbourne shop knowing that she lives and breathes all this stuff? How do you do it? That's a great question.
0: Look, I, this is a journey that I've been on for probably 10 years now. Um, As I said to you earlier, I was a buyer. So I had a love affair with fashion. I really saw it as... Part of my personal identity, it was creative expression for me, um, and I was very much the sort of person who was looking out for the latest trends, um, and and did that for companies for a living, looking for the latest trends and and putting outfits together, and so for me, becoming a more ethical shopper has been a ten-year journey, and it's not it's not over yet. I'm, I'm human, so I it's not perfect yet. But there are certain things that I really take into consideration when I'm shopping. So actually, this this is a bit daggy, but Mm. one, one thing that I do is I really want to actively avoid being swayed by trends. I just want to be true to my personal style because then if you're true to your personal style, then things become timeless and you will get so much more wear out of them. And I, it, I'm proud now when I wear a pair of boots and say, I actually bought these in 2002 and I've had them resold and, and I look after the leather well. Um, that, that's part of my identity now as something I really value as a person. And so in order to be able to do that, I have like a mood board of my personal style because I want to make sure that when I'm tempted to buy something that it it will fit in with my personal style so that I'll wear it for longer and it will go with things in my wardrobe and I won't be tempted to replace it or discard it quickly. So there's a little insight into me. I probably overthink things but that's one thing that I've done that's really helped me um, because – the reality is even when you buy secondhand, for example, which I highly endorse, look and see if you can get something secondhand, um, you can still be tempted to buy things that you'll never use because they might be cheap or convenient or, or you know, just something that you've never tried before. But if you stay true to your personal style, then I think you'll you'll wear things for longer and you won't make so many frivolous purchases mm. as such. Um, so I, I always say to people the most sustainable wardrobe that you have is the one you already own. So I would Mm -hmm. say if you're starting your ethical fashion journey, just know that if you wake up tomorrow and do nothing more than pull something out of your wardrobe that you already own, then you've already started. Like you're at step one because those things that you already own, if you're able to wear them, repair them, keep them in your wardrobe, then you're already on your way. So I really pulled back on the volume of things that I was purchasing. As my first step into ethical fashion, um, and then I look for alternative ways to get what I need. I buy secondhand. There's great things available on if you don't if you're not comfortable with op shopping, which I know isn't for everyone. Ugh, look on Facebook Marketplace, Depop. Like, there's so many ways to get secondhand clothing now. Um, and also ask yourself if you actually need to buy it. You know, mm. can can you borrow it? If you've got a wedding coming up, do you need to go and buy a new dress for it, or does someone else you know have? A great well, dressing can in hire, their
2: wardrobe. It, hire a dress.
0: There are also hiring options available now. Yes, you can hire, hire it and then you just wear it once, it gets cleaned and it goes back um, for someone else to use. So that's a really good tip as well. Um, yeah, there are lots of different ways to procure things without buying new. And if you do need to buy new, then that's where this research piece really comes in. And I just encourage people to buy the best option that's accessible to them. You know, some people can can find trying to shop ethically quite cost prohibitive, um, but I would just encourage you to find the best option that is accessible to you if you do need to buy new.
2: Yeah. And I would say like for me personally, uh, I'm, you know, my privileged financial position means that I'm not quite unquote cost sensitive. Like I can walk into Nudie and drop $260 or however much a pair of jeans are. But I mean, they will last so long. And maybe for those, like we are a money podcast, if you're just starting out, like I'm not saying go and spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars today, but it could be more, how can you be a bit more strategic, like get a timeless pair of jeans, get a black pair of jeans, get a, I don't know, don't ask me about fashion advice, but like, how can you just start the journey? Like, how can the train leave the station? So that's what I do, and for me personally, uh, and it's more of a comfort thing. Um, most of my clothes are 100 percent cotton um, because I don't I want it to breathe. And um, actually, I was in. I've got a Bonds hoodie that I bought like four years ago, and I just I just keep it for winter because it's still kind of good and it's it's fine. I like it, uh, but I went to industry. And they're so dead to me. I'm so disappointed after reading that, but I like their shirts. Um, anyway, I need to find a new retailer. Anyway, I digress. But I went in there and I wanted a, like a jumper or a new hoodie for winter. And I tried it on. It was like, oh yeah, this looks good, but it doesn't feel right. There's something up with this. And I looked and it was like 90% polyester. And I was just like, ugh. Anyway- I walked up to the counter. I'm like, oh, hey, do you have any jumpers that are cotton? And the chick's like, oh, yeah, over there, that one there. So, I'm like, sweet, tried it on, awesome, got home, wearing it. Within the first couple of days, I'm like, this still doesn't feel good. It was only 80% cotton or something like that.
0: Yeah, right.
2: And I'm just like, it's just so dead to me, industry, just so dead.
0: One thing I would say about industry is um, within the 120 companies that we have in our survey – um, because we want to include all companies who earn 50 million and over, we have about a third that that don't submit information. We just go based off public information only. So industry is one of those companies who we've used public information only for the report this year. Um, so it is worth writing to them and asking them about what they're doing um, in that space. But, but for transparency's sake, we're only using um, their publicly available information for their score this year.
2: Okay, I'll, I'll reframe because I still might... I'm not buying jumpers from there or pants anymore. I'm going to write to them though and say, can you conduct research? Just a question because when I start talking, I just derail everything.
0: Sure.
2: So, like, C Folly, for example, they scored 28.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, we can look at the breakdown and this is the good thing, right? So, would that be, you know... Oh, uh, environmental sustainability. Because I haven't seen many 100% organic cotton swimwear, right? Like it just sure. doesn't exist, right? But we can look at the breakdown and say, ooh, worker empowerment, three out of 10. Yeah.
0: And That's crap. (laughs) That's an all too common tale. So worker empowerment is the section of our survey where companies tend to score the lowest. Mm. And that's really where workers are empowered to use their voice to speak out against um, issues that are happening in the factories that they're working in. And so uh, in this year's report, we have called out a few issues around worker empowerment, Um, one being grievance mechanisms, for example. So When a factory has, well, when factory workers have uh, a grievance mechanism, it means that it's anonymous, it's provided in their local language, and it means that they are entitled to raise an issue that they have observed in their factory, and it will be resolved without that, um, without any risk of them being, um, you know, losing their job or being in any way affected by the fact that they've raised this issue. And we really need to see improvements in grievance mechanisms because what we see from quite a few companies is, oh, there's a suggestion box in the factory, Mm. but that's not anonymous. That's hanging over the bin, isn't it, usually? (laughs) That's not not an effective way for workers to really um, be able to bring issues happening in their factory to the front line. So, we really need to see more work done around providing safe ways for workers to be part of unions, to be part of collective bargaining agreements, um, and to have effective grievance mechanisms for raising issues. Um, Because when they're able to to collaborate and, and have their voices heard, then that's when they can advocate for change. You know, they don't need other people to do it for them. They can really be advocates for change and agents for change in their own workplaces.
2: So just on this whole, you know, personal journey of mine, how I've just been, you know, disappointed with industry's score, if someone, and life's a journey, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. If someone's like, I just love Sea Folly swimwear, like, because half the problem with people like me who aren't models, there are some clothing brands that the style, it's just like, no, I'm a size 36. You know, anything from that brand that I wear, I'm not comfortable in. It looks like I'm horrendous and all that stuff. So I get the fashion thing. So if, if someone like me is like, all right, I need a new home, because industry is not going to be my go to long term unless they get their act together. So if someone is like me and they're like, I love sea folly. But I'm really disappointed with the 28. There's solace to know that they scored nine out of ten for human rights monitoring and supply chain relationships. Like that's a that's really good. Nine out of ten.
0: So there are there will I mean dig into the scores is what I would say if you want to know more about that company. Is it out of
2: ten, sorry, or out of a hundred each category? How are we doing? No, this?
0: so the totals out of one hundred. Yeah. And each section then is out of a different amount. So, which section were you talking about?
2: Well, I was looking at um, supply. Oh, it's out of 34, is it? Supply.
0: 34. All so, right. for hu- oh. supplier relationships and human rights monitoring. Okay, I'll, I'll recap
2: my comments. Maybe they suck. <laughs> um, <but laughs> anyway, the the point I'm making is you can have a look at the individual sections. Um, so, like policy and governments is, governance is out of six. Tracing and risk is out of 15 supplier and human rights monitorings out of 34. So, I totally recant my 9 out of 10. It's, yeah, for C- 9 <laughs> out of 10.
0: Um, yeah, and and they're weighted that way for a reason. So uh, you know, policies and governance is out of six because they're actions that most companies have taken by now, and they they really should have. It's it's not as complex to create a policy around something as it is to then put really tangible actions in place to see those policies and see those codes um, actioned in factories right throughout your supply chain. So they are, they are <coughs> the scores are distributed that way um, accordingly.
2: Yeah, cool. So. There, it's obviously a weighted thing and that's all good. I just text a friend. I'm like, what are two common clothing brands that you use? And she's like, Forever New and Cotton On. She's like, why? I'm like, mind your own business. You're busy at work. Get back to it. Just Anyway, so Forever New, 52%. So they're in the top 20%. Awesome. Yes. You can keep wearing Forever New.
0: They were the one I mentioned earlier because their mm. score increased by 20 this year. So. Yes,
2: yes. And let's have a look. quite
0: a lot in this space.
2: Cotton on group, 42, room for improvement, but not dead to me.
0: I think that puts them in the middle 20% of companies yeah, success.
2: Yeah. So what brands do you use? What brands do you wear? Um, it's just a fascinating thing. And why I love sharing this every year, because it is a way that we can look under the hood um, at what we're wearing. And your dollars have downstream effects, good and bad.
0: Absolutely. I like to think of every purchase I make as an investment because I am investing in that company in the profits that they make from the purchase that I that I make. So it's not just as simple as a, I give you my money, you give me a top. I'm actually investing in that company and in their business practices and in the type of world that they're creating. So I really want to make sure that my dollars are um, are being stewarded well mm. and that my I'm happy with where my money's going at the end of the day. And as I said, that's that might be cost prohibitive for some people, but if you just choose the best option that's accessible to you and – and have that investment mindset that I'm going to use it for a long time. So, my cost per wear will come down, you know, my cost per wear on my blunt, oh, not my blunt, so my Doc Martens that I bought when I was 18 is amazing now. So, um, yeah, there are things where if you can stretch a dollar to get the better quality, um, more ethical option, then it is often worth it in the long run.
2: Let's have a look at another brand, shall we, for, for Lowell's ASOS 41. That's good. Good for you, ASOS. Not quite in the top, but you're getting there.
0: It is. I mean, it's it's a comparatively not a bad score, but also mm. it means that there's still 60 um, points, if you will, that mm. they're not hitting. So there's still a huge gap for them in the way that they empower their workers, mm. um, in the way that they have supplier relationships. So yes, comparatively, 41 is not a bad score. Um, it, it puts them, you know... In the mix with their peers, but mm. we still want to focus on the things that they need to do in order to get to a hundred.
2: AS Color sixty-six. Good for you, right. AS Color. Good for you. You're good people. But anyway, we might leave it there. Was there anything that you wanted to kind of say that you just like, would well, this guy shut up so I can actually land a point?
0: Sure. I guess I would just say if you're in, interested in ethical fashion, um, it can be really confusing out there to know what, what is ethical and what is not. It's fair to say when we look at um, not just our research, but what's been happening in the media over the last 10 years, you know, shoppers have got to a point where they're really confused about what ethical fashion is. And that's um, you know evidenced in the fact that a lot of their trust in these fashion companies has diminished through things like corporate greenwashing. And so we really want to help you as a shopper to understand what ethical fashion is. Um, And it can get so lost in buzzwords like slow fashion and eco-friendly. But at the end of the day, uh, ethical fashion, the essence of it is that the shoes and the clothes and the accessories are designed, manufactured, used by you and disposed of by you in ways that honour and respect the people who made them um, whilst minimising the impact that we have on the environment. And so our research looks at Everything from the raw materials, so things like mining your synthetics, um, the petroleum that's required, through to picking the cotton, um, but all the way through to what they're doing to make sure that you are informed as as a customer of theirs to dispose of that item or to repair that item um, so that it can continue its life for longer. And so that's what we aim to do in our report. It's extremely extensive with 46 questions and looking at all different stages of the supply chain um, and looking at a whole lot of different different data points that we're sent you know hundreds of thousands of data points that we use to analyze these companies and so if you're confused jump on our website have a look at the resources that we have made available for you check out the brand finder and if you want to start um, your ethical journey and you want to speak back to these companies um, click on a company send them an email and and let them know what you think and what you want to see in the future from them and and good luck with your ethical fashion journey.
2: Love that. Thanks, Sarah. And I I will say, you did mention fast fashion then. And in my mind, I was like, oh, fast fashion, H&M equals bad. They didn't score that badly. They're in the top 20%. So, this report will help you reset all those buzzwords, perhaps.
0: You know, some of the fast fashion companies are some of the biggest in the world. And so, we have, uh, you know, some fast fashion companies are down the bottom 20%. um, But some, as you said, have done quite a bit, in this space um, to see improvements in their supply chains. And so, yeah, th- there's no one single answer for fast fashion companies. So it is worth looking into them um, and seeing how they perform because some of them might have done some work to put in some preventative measures at the, at least or at a minimum to, to start seeing improvements in their supply chain.
2: Yeah, and I, I was going to ask you like some like practical steps to take. I think the first thing that everyone can do is exactly what you said if you see one of your brands that you love and then not... I'm going to be writing to industry and be like, why aren't you participating in this? Like, this is ridiculous. You've got a corporate responsibility, I believe. And to be honest, if I can go there, I would actually say if you're a brand and you don't want to participate in this, maybe your governance score needs to be lower. I don't know. Just saying that. You don't have to comment on that, Sarah. But write to your brand and let's slow down let's be more intentional with our shopping which means we're more intentional with our spending which means we're caring for more people and the environment and all the good stuff but we'll put a link in the show notes so people can go direct to the website and have a look at the report and look at some brands
0: sounds wonderful thanks so much Glenn
2: thanks for having us Sarah and we'll get you on next year and we'll do it all again sounds wonderful